Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Kyle Coster Show, presented by the big lead. My guest today, Jake Mintz of Fox Sports. He's an MLB writer there. He's half of the duo that makes up Cespedes BBQ or Cespedes Cookout based on your area of the country. We had a nice conversation about the 1200 mile bike ride he recently took from New York to Chicago. A man said some stuff he shouldn't have said claimed he was going to walk from NYC to Chicago if the White Sox were to hire Tony La Russa. Now, 2020 vision being what it is, we now know that that was a gigantic mistake. The White Sox hired La Russa. They are in first place, walking away with the AL Central. I'm still a little bit concerned about what happens if things start to go south in the playoffs. Mintz rode his bike across half of America. He stopped at baseball games every single day. He rolled through my neck of the woods and he wrote about it for Fox. He's podcasting about it. We talked about how the trip came to be, about the planning process, some of the stuff he saw, what surprised him. You know what an interview is. I don't gotta tell you what's in the interview. You're gonna listen to the interview. So here it is. This is Jake Mintz. Jake, you biked 1,200 miles from New York City to Chicago to pay off kind of a claim that you made, but it sounds like deep down this is something that you wanted to do anyway, and this was kind of your backdoor way into making it become a reality. Yeah, it, it was punishment, kind of, but not really. Um, once I realized that I was going to have to, or not have to, but was going to do this, like that, you know, La Russa got hired and, you know, the other shoe had dropped. For me, it was like, how can I make this fun? How can I make this engaging? How can I make this interesting? And how can we raise some money? Um, and so I'm very happy and, and, and fortunate that we were able to kind of do all that at the same time. Um, but you are right that like, it, it was, it was kind of the situation was like, Oh no, don't make me do this. Like, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was a great adventure. Something I've always wanted to do and uh, made me kind of want to think about what's next. Like what is the next wild bike, you know, baseball thing I can do. When I was following you, I kind of felt like you were kind of like a mix between Forrest Gump and Darren Erstad on a bike out there. Um, just putting in, putting in the hours, putting in the miles, uh, all hours of the day. I thought that the pace that you had was pretty incredible. Uh, I thought that that seemed like the most daunting thing. You didn't leave yourself any like getaway days, uh, in, in time to heal. So I was curious just how much of a physical challenge it was. Cause from the outside, it seemed to be quite something to tackle. 
so you know it was hard i trained but not enough <laughs> and i kind of grew into the trip as it went it got easier for me as i went along like the fatigue factor is that piled up was offset by my own physical fitness kind of rising to the occasion in a way um I left really early almost every day in order to give myself time. Now at 12 of the 14 stops, right? Like we were going to games every night. And so what that meant is that I really wanted to be at the game by like four three thirty, So we could talk to people, do interviews, like just work. And so that made it harder because between when I left in the morning at six and when I had to like wear like real people clothes at three 30, I had to push the pace enough in order to make that a reality. Right. And so I would block out of my head how much I would have to do on a given day. Right. So it's like, okay, so I have, you know, nine hours of time. I'll probably stop for a total of an hour, maybe. So that's going to be eight hours on the bike. Oh, okay. I have a little bit more time today. Like I can average 14 miles an hour. Right. One day uh, it was like, okay, well, I need to get to this place by X amount of time. Like I got to be averaging 17 miles an hour the whole way in order to get there on time. And I had a little GPS computer in front of me so I could kind of see how I was doing compared to what I wanted to do. Um, I got really good at eating while on the bike to save time. So, you know, burritos, pizza, cliff bars, like being able to snack while moving was really good to save time. Uh, and then just getting comfortable getting up early. The mornings were actually easy. Like I would just roll out of bed. It's like, well, I am awake and it's 545. I might as well go on my bike. So after a while, that mental gymnastics came a little bit, you know, easier to me. What are some tips for eating while you're on the go on the bike? Um, One-handed foods. So that could be anything. I would say pasta, the worst. Good for bike riding from a carb perspective. But like, you know, unless you're going to pour yourself like a cup of pasta and like drink it maybe not pasta soups not good just because you don't need liquid right you need solid when you're moving so learn it like i would okay so i would go get a burrito right and i would eat half of it and put the other half like in my bike bag and then like eat it later because you really don't want to eat meals because if you eat meals that's when you cramp right because you're doing so much intake you get full then you're exercising you can't burn it off if you eat incrementally your body handles that a lot better. So like, I also knew my calorie burn rate so that I could put food back in as I went. So it was like, okay, well, I'm burning about 350, 400 calories an hour while I'm moving. So I need to make sure I'm putting that in at the same time. So like, okay, like a cliff bar is 250. So I need to have like a cliff bar and a third an hour. And then you find little snacks at gas stations that, you, that are up in calorie and up in sugar you know, hashtag no ads, but like they make these big, like nutter butter eight packs. Oh my God. I was just throwing those down. It was like 450 calories in a, in a thing that was good for an hour. Right. So you learn these little things as you go and, and, and you learn what your body needs and you learn the difference between being tired and pushing through that and needing a rest. So all those football coaches who are basically saying like, are you hurt or injured? We're, we're technically correct there. Yeah. I mean, right. Like, okay. Anybody listening, if you're going to bike 1200 miles. Like you're going to get tired. You're not going to feel good the whole time. And so, <laughs> whoa, believe it or not, there will come a point where you have to push through a level of discomfort. 
And for me, there were two things. I mean, you just have a feel of your own body after you do it for a while. And then I was wearing a heart rate monitor. And so I could basically see, okay, so my heart rate is as X and I'm going Y fast. That's not right. Like I should be going faster. If my heart's beating this fast, I need a break. Right. That was a big thing that was helpful to me. Um, I had a rule that was like, I would try and do 30 miles before 9am. Right. To bang that out. So I knew I could do 30 in one sitting without getting off my bike, which was really good and helped me a lot kind of bang out a lot of miles early and feel better mentally. Um, but yeah, you just learn yourself, man. Like you just, you, you figure out your own limits. Um, but it's really important to know that there, there are limits there. And like, there was no point where I felt like woozy or dehydrated or problematically undernourished at any point. I was able to kind of check myself on that. Well, I think what you're sharing with me kind of reflects like how much planning and work has to go into something like this. I think when you look at it from afar, when the idea was first hatched, it's kind of like this lark. It's kind of silly. It's something that, oh, we'll figure out those details later. But I was curious, were you confident you had all the details hammered out before you got on the road? Or were there things that it became immediately clear that this was going to be a bit of improv for you? So the details was most like the logistics was mostly route plan, right? Making sure the roads I was on were safe to be biking on. That's the biggest thing because it can really vary. And so I months in advance planned out all the routes. Then the night before I would essentially like Google street view, most of the major roads. And I'm looking for speed limit signs. I'm looking for width of the shoulder. Uh, I'm looking for pinch points where like two lanes become one and the shoulder disappears. And, you know, I had all of that in my head in advance. And there were some pinch points where it's just like, well, that's the way out of Pittsburgh. So like, I want to be on a highway for a mile and a half and like, just going to have to do it. Um, and then there were some where it was like, I don't want to do that for five miles. How can I go around it? Is it worth adding a half hour for safety, et cetera, et cetera. So all, all that planning happened beforehand. Now, two worst words in bike trip planning are bridge out. So if you're biking along, you can't plan for road construction, right? Like that's just not on any maps. So there are a lot of, since there was one situation coming into Pittsburgh where I was like, okay, well, this bridge is out. So that's another 10 miles, right? Like you just, in a car, you're fine. You just got back on the freeway and you whoop around and whatever. For me, it was like, okay, well, I remember leaving Detroit. So you're Michigan, right? So I basically to leave Detroit, I took Grand River, all the way out to nine mile and then took nine mile all the way out um, west. And there was a chunk of nine mile that was just under construction, like it was just closed. And so I had to essentially like bike down to eight mile across and back up, which if you're in a car, it's like, whatever. For me, that was an extra, you know, that's an extra 25, 30 minutes of my day. And so that stuff was kind of difficult to plan around. And you just deal with it when it, when it comes up. At any point, did it feel like work? The work? Okay, so we raised a lot of money and part of the, the shtick was like, if you donated a certain amount, I would shout you out on the bike and I would record a video. That was work because what I love about riding my bike and what I loved about the trip was my ability to kind of turn my brain off for extended periods of time, right? People do yoga, meditation, et cetera, to try and find that sense of thoughtlessness. And for me, getting in a heart rate zone three for an hour on my bike, and that's it. 
you know? And so the, the work was not the riding. It was like being on my bike and thinking, okay, I have to film 35 shout outs in the next hour and a half because I promised it. That was strenuous. Like that was not ideal. The riding itself didn't actually feel like work necessarily. How good was it to be back out at the ballpark night after night after last year? That must've been really cathartic for you. And have you like kind of reflected on how much has changed between this season and last? I mean, what did it, what did it feel like for you to be out there night after night, seeing these ballparks filled with people yet again? Yeah. I mean, that's where I feel most comfortable, you know, as a person where I, it's a space in a language that I can speak fluently and operate in really comfortably. And, you know, I played college ball and a lot of the work that I do now doesn't take place at stadiums as much. And so it was very cathartic to kind of be back out in that arena. Um, myself and Jordan Schusterman, my better half, like we cut our teeth in this world in college and driving to minor league baseball games over the summer. And so we had done road trips every summer in college and we hadn't done one together in five years. So like being back out together on the road and seeing the world of baseball and interacting with people and, you know, getting a sense for communities and how the game has changed and whether that's a place that lost major league affiliation status or gained major league affiliation status in one place we went to. And like, that's the whole thing. Like that's the whole reason we do what we do and why we love what we do is getting to see baseball in communities and places that sometimes get a little bit overshadowed. You know, it's not all about the Yankees. You know, sometimes it's about just the people who live in, you know, uh, Avon, Ohio, going to an independent league game. No one on that team's ever going to play in the big leagues, but they're going to have a nice time at the ballpark, you know, and capturing that energy is something that I think we did pretty well and something that I think is really important to what we do. I think that you and, and you speak about how it'd been five years since you've kind of been on a road trip with Jordan. I mean, you guys' career has changed dramatically in those five years. I was curious, like, if you could tell that person who's five years younger, this is what you're going to be doing down the road. Would you have believed it? We have never had a plan. And so I'd be lying to you if like we pointed at anything and we were like, all right, everything goes towards this. Like we have been incredibly fortunate that the shtick of talking to my friend about baseball and having a good time and highlighting joy has paid off and has been something that we can make a life out of. Um, at no point did we ever plan that. Did we ever write, you know, like, social strategy on a whiteboard in a conference room and like think about you know we've been very very fortunate i will say me saying something that ended up being wrong and having to like pay that off that's no surprise like i've been you know saying bombastic baseball things forever like that is what it is but you know the fact that we would be able to raise thirty thousand dollars is a lot of money like that's a lot of money and that's a testament to the platform that we've been gifted and we've helped to kind of curate for ourselves over the years. And I think that is more than anything else. What I'm most proud of is that, you know, we broke the record for most individual donations on that donation platform, you know, and it was like kind of a piecemeal situation where it was a lot of people who cared a little bit, you know, and that's cool. That to me is the thing that I would be 
unable to comprehend at age, you know, 19, age 20. Yeah, I would agree that you guys are definitely the most Bernie Sanders-like baseball podcast right. when it comes to small donations over a large <laughs> group. No, no doubt about, about that. I think the reason why you guys have been able to be successful is because you just enjoy baseball. Like you're not afraid of the joy. It's not fun for everybody unless everybody's having fun. And people can tell that you two really like the game. Like it's not, it's just you being your genuine self and being positive. And and I think that speaks to so many people and myself included too, because it's like, I've been doing stuff online for over 15 years and have managed to not be cynical not turn it into something that's mean spirited. And I think that like, I can't imagine approaching it from a different way. And I think that honestly, uh, Jake, that that's, re- I think that that's refreshing to people to just have someone who's going to like love something with an open heart, you know, in public. So I think that that's a major reason for it. And then when you're able to share that with an audience too, the, it's not just the audience that you've amassed that they gave this many or that it's this many people it's the generosity of those people and then their willingness to support causes that you find to be important a hundred percent and like you know i i think there's a balance between being a clown show and you know enjoying yourself and i think that we don't force it like if the vibe is bad like we're not gonna hop online and be like like check out this you know like you got to read the room every once in a while and that kind of took us some time as we got older but i think you're right right it's it's not complicated the shtick is not complicated jordan and i are really good friends we talk about baseball all the time offline we're i'm gonna call him in about 40 minutes about the little league world series like that's just gonna be a thing that we do right it's not a shtick and so that and having the audacity to enjoy ourselves and to view the sport that is a game through the lens of joy is not complicated. And I understand that there are many people in this business and in this game, it is their livelihood, right? It is the entirety of what they do and how they put food on the table. And like, I at no point am intending to make like a mockery of that or downplay the intensity or sincerity of such a thing. But I think that it would behoove everyone to just smile about the game a little bit more like allow the good things to be good call out the bad things that are bad but when the good things are rolling in enjoy them and i think what me and jordan are good at is finding the good things that you maybe aren't seeing when you watch a game like i feel like i can make you care emotionally about 90 percent of major leaguers if you give me a minute of your time right uh i can go to a baseball game with you and point something out that maybe you don't see that's not necessarily X's and O's, but like it's going to heighten your general experience of the game. And I think that that is our quality. And I think that is what has come to separate us from other people. And when we started out, we were like, oh, we'll do analysis. Like everyone, we were 17. Like what do you know what we were doing, right? And so we just kind of let the game wash over us naturally. And we're just very blessed that people caught on with that. Like, and, and, and we're down with it it's cool to hear you say that you're just going to like amplify people's enjoyment by adding, I mean, it's adding another layer into it. Like the strategy, this is a position where he might throw a breaking ball. So watch the secondary lead, anything like that. There's just a million different things. And I find the joy in baseball and learning who my companion is 
for the event, seeing what their level of acumen is at and what kind of vibe they want to be on. It's like, how can we just turn that up like 10% and then maybe they get a feeling, hey, it's exciting to know more about baseball or there's more going on here than I first noticed. So maybe I should open my eyes a little bit wider. I would find that to be one of the great things about baseball because there is time built in to do that and be able to share those experiences. The way that I always talk about it is a series of concentric circles. And I'm in the middle that like, for me, I like baseball more than anyone should or could like I'm in, you know what I mean? Like I love this sport. And so there are different rings of intensity of fandom that people have in their inter- in their interaction with the game, their relationship with the game. And I used to think that it was all about making people from zero fan to casual fan. And like when I worked at the league, for a couple of years out of school, like that was my thought process. But over time, it's just like any closer I can pull you to the core of where I see myself, which is, you know, watching games every night. And that's all I think about. Any closer I can pull you to me is great. And whether that's you've never been to a baseball game and we go get a hot dog, whether that's you're a fan of the team in the city you live and you, you know, go to two games a week one week because like you want to see Clayton Kershaw pitch or something. That's great. If you're really getting into it and you want to start, you know, reading about advanced analytics, like I can speak to that too. And so for me, any closer I can pull someone to baseball Nirvana is a win Um, no matter where they start and no matter where they end. And I think that like that approach ensures that you don't alienate people, right? It, 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 you meet them where they are. Yeah. And they don't feel in, intimidated. It's the same, it's the same thing yeah. with everything. I, I just had the experience of introducing my father to golf at age 66 and he was intimidated to go out there until I showed him, Hey, we'll go to a place that doesn't have a dress code. We'll go to a place where you can dribble the ball off the tee and nobody's going to notice. And it was once it was the level of like, Hey, I'm comfortable here. You could see on his face that he started to have fun. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of the same as going to the ballpark or talking about the game. hundred percent, you know, like we went to a minor league game player on the field. His dad is a uh, bodybuilding hall of famer. Like a, I was like, that's interesting, right? The person sitting next to me, if I tell that to them, they're going to remember that player. You know, that's, it can be as simple as that. Um, yeah. It's funny. You talk about that with your dad. Like there are certain things in, in the world where like, I feel like they've passed me by enough that I can't like Marvel. Like I have watched none of those movies, but black Panther. And like, I am intimidated to get involved because like it, it feels incredibly overwhelming to me. And so I feel that with other things. And so whenever I'm like talking about baseball, I try and check myself and make sure that I'm not like, going deep up like the equivalent of like going deep on ant-man with someone unless they're already in right because i couldn't imagine like sitting on a city bus and someone like diving into ant-man and being like i'm just i'm just not on the same page here i'm, I'm gonna it's like i'm happy with paul rudd but like, i don't know what i don't know what to say yeah interesting premise uh didn't see it i think one of the ways that you get people to care so much i think it's such a good recurring thing to do is when someone makes their major league baseball debut you send a tweet out I believe for every single one I think we're around like 20,000 off the top of my head I can't remember where we are at in that but where did that idea get started and I think it's just so good because I'll remember 
those two facts I gleaned from it for like years and those get stuck in there like an old movie quote. So we've actually stopped doing that, um, unfortunately. So just to give you some background, that started the beginning of 2020. And that was mostly Jordan's project, but you know, I helped him out on it as well. Like his thought was in 2020, empty stadiums, the debuts are going to be almost overshadowed because players' families won't be there to see them. And so what can we do to kind of make it feel somewhat more special? So we decided to do that. Um, We kept up with it. And then as we went, we realized we were getting super close to 20,000, right? And so we got to 20,000 and people, people cared, like as the build of 20K, like people were in, got 20K, did 2001 or 20,001. And then we stopped because the amount of work that that took behind the scenes for Jordan was immense just to like, how many guys are up? Who's uh, never debuted, who's on a roster, but didn't get in. Like there are all these things and it just was such a grind for him. We might pick it back up next year. We'll see. But I think that it does, it does speak to like every big leaguers. Cool. Like there's only 20,000 of them. That doesn't even fill some NBA stadiums. You know what I mean? Like that's not that many people. And we really wanted to show that each of those players is, is worth caring about on their own. Right. Um, and it was, it was a fun ride. I, I remember I tweeted out to 20,001 from my bike on the West side of New York like on the West side highway, like I pulled over and did two 20,001. It was like, that's it. All right. We'll see you people later. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Like Barry Sanders walking away from the game at the top. You're like, that's uh, that's where we're leaving. Exactly. Uh, do you have any, you have any positive things to say about the Detroit Tigers? I am in the midst of what I think is one of my favorite years of fandom and my three decades loving the team and there's six games under 500. I have been shocked at how competitive this team is in the immediate dividends that AJ Hinch has shown. Um, like this guy's a manager. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's taking a roster that isn't very good. And I believe they were 15 games under 500 at one point and they've played at nine over for the rest of the season. So what are you kind of looking at with, with the Tigers? And am I crazy for thinking that they are ahead of schedule uh, on the rebuild after being behind schedule for so long? It's so funny you say that because to start the year, they were, I believe they were like, let me see, they were nine and 24 in the beginning of May. And I thought they were hot trash. I was like, this team is not only bad, but unwatchable. Like they were unwatchable. There was nothing fun about it, especially because at that point it was like the corpse of Miguel Cabrera wandering around a baseball field. And that's sad. But over the last two months, this team has had a record above 500 in every month which is very impressive and they're playing inspiring baseball. And that's all you can ask for a bad team. Now, bad teams, trust me, I'm an Orioles fan and I've been there. All right. You're going to lose a lot of games where you just start a guy who shouldn't be in the big leagues and he's going to give up like eight runs and you lose. That's just the way it goes. Right. That's the difference between the Tigers and the Dodgers. And, And there are other differences too, obviously. But what struck me when I was in Detroit, uh, two weeks ago for the first time, first time at America, was the vibe. I thought the vibe was going to be sad and it was going to be kind of a downer. 
but it was awesome. I mean, I went on a Saturday night and it was like Mickey weekends kind of, cause he had just hit those two home runs to get closer to 500, but the place was packed. I mean, it was like 25,000, 26,000 people out on a Saturday night in Detroit downtown. Like they played my Orioles. That's not like a big draw. Duh. And it was good, dude. I mean, like, I don't know where the next gear is. I think they need to develop some of the younger arms a little bit more. Obviously, Torkelson and Riley Green coming up is really going to help. And they could probably sign a few free agents to fill in the gaps. Um, But this team has been a delightful surprise. I think they have figured out a number of different players who will be on the next good team. And that's the key for a bad team, right? It's like, okay, well, you look at the roster, like, Badu, Candelario, Haas, like those are three guys who should be on the next good Tigers team. And if you add to that, you know, Torkelson, Green, uh, and then like a couple of free agents, that's like nine good baseball players, right? And you look in the rotation, it's the same kind of thing. Like, okay, Casey Mize, like randomly Willie Peralta is like, all right. You know, I think the Tigers, it could be worse. And I expected it to be worse, especially after the really poopy first month and a half they had. When they were nine and 24, I, I remember it vividly. They had scored. I remember doing like mental math and just seeing that they had scored like 11 runs or like over like a 24 game stretch or something just absurd, like less than a run a game over a, a long time. And I was like, I'm done with this team. I cannot watch them. Uh, the worst hitting I've ever seen. So it's just exciting to see um, signs of life. I wanted to ask you too about uh the White Sox getting the two bats back right now after I thought they already looked like one of the best teams, if not the second best in baseball. I was just curious, should do you think that when you add it together, they got better at the trade deadline just as just as much as the Dodgers did? Could you argue that they, they made the best stable of moves if you consider getting these two back? It is as iconically generic as a baseball front office quote as it gets you know our deadline acquisitions are going to be the guys coming off the injured list like that's every year we hear it every year right and it's true like getting Jimenez and Robert back is that's the outfield that's the whole basically the whole outfield and I had considered I had almost like thought of the White Sox without them and was like, oh, well, without them, like they're still one of the best teams and they have all these other pieces and they're going to be okay. And they're still winning division by X many games and the rotation's great. And then for them to come back, it's almost like a bonus in my mind. It's like, oh, well, now they have these two dudes. Like, of course they're going to run away with it. Now, I mean, they need a little bit of time to reacclimate. I think Jimenez is already just, he's been incredible since coming back. Robert's only been back for a couple of games, but yeah, I mean, I still think the Astros are the AL favorite as spicy as that is, but the White Sox are not too far behind. Finishing up here, what was the best moment of the trip and what ballpark really stood out, whether it be pro or whether it be minor league, what was your favorite experience? South Bend, Indiana from the ballpark perspective is a beautiful spot. Um, That field is kind of the, in the way that Camden Yards is the template for a lot of new major league stadiums, that field in South Bend uh, is the template for a lot of new minor league parks. And so it has aged beautifully well. They've done a lot of very interesting apartment development behind the outfield since I'd last been there. 
it's just a beautiful place to catch a game. If you're ever in the area, I highly recommend it. They do a great job there. So that as a place stands out. And then Comerica, dude, I mean, my first time at Comerica, lovely park. It has a very like 2014, nothing's changed since 2014 vibe. We're like, you know, it, it's all like a little bit, like there's still Mikey Matuk jerseys in the team store, you know, but I kind of liked that. I found that a little bit charming. Uh, my favorite parts of the trip, uh, there was a stretch from a place called Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania, real place. Been there, been Lock there. Stop, Haven, Pennsylvania. stop at the gas station there. Not a great gas station. Yeah. It's about, if you're going from Williamsport to Pittsburgh, you go right through it. And from there to Lock Haven, Pennsylvania, it's about 20 miles east of State College. That was one of the best, most beautiful parts of riding, like in this beautiful valley, misty morning, cornfields, like the whole thing. It was awesome. And then like the end of it, dude, when I first saw the Chicago skyline, like I pulled around, like you basically come up north from Indiana. There's a town called uh, Hammond and you go north along the border between Illinois and Indiana and you hit the water and you make like a left along the water, along the lakefront. And you just see it when you turn a corner. And it was like, holy crap, I did it. Like I actually did it. That's actually Chicago. And I started in actually New York and that's actually really far. Um, that definitely struck me. So, you know, I got to Chicago and I had some time to kill. So I bought myself a bottle of champagne. I sat on the lakefront with a box of cookies and just took a breath and I'll never forget that. And judging from what I've heard and kind of like, you know, thinking about what this could be in the future, it seems like it might be a good idea to do more of these down the line in terms of like a baseball road trip. So I would just encourage you, you know, if you have, you know, if you have the freedom to do that, you should definitely keep doing it because you're going to meet people and you're going to get all those new experiences. And then you're also going to get to do it under the guise of work, which is the big trick that uh, I think both of us have kind of figured out a little bit. Yeah. I, um, I have an idea for next summer. It is very much in the works. I'm not going to reveal it here. It involves baseball. It involves biking. It involves a lot of miles. Uh, it's a little different, but I, I just want to let people know there is a sequel being thought up. Like, stay through the credits, people, because there's more coming. All right, that's Jake Mintz at Fox Sports. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. An absolute pleasure. Go Tigers. But not tonight against the Orioles. <laughs>